if we don't do it, Sky will. The Football Podcast. Three friends picking the bones out of the weekend's football. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of If We Don't Do It, Sky Will, the football podcast. We're recording on Wednesday, 29th of December, uh, in between Christmas and New Year, in a very busy period for the Premier League. And we had to fit a podcast in too, so we've just about managed. There's three games still to go in the current match day. Chelsea, Brighton, Brentford versus Manchester City and Manchester United, Burnley will all be played by the time you hear this, I'm sure. But we're here to discuss the Boxing Day games and the other games last night, including Liverpool's defeat at Leicester. With me, as ever, are Nick Gilmer, our Manchester United fan. Hello, Nick. Hello. How's it going? Great. Thank you. Merry Christmas and all that. And to you. I hope you had a good one. Yeah, it was lovely. Thanks. And over on the Isle of Man, we've got George, our Leeds fan, who definitely had a good Christmas because Leeds didn't play. How are you, George? Very good. Very refreshed from uh, not suffering any defeats. That's right. You got what you wanted, which was cancellation of games. (laughs) Merry Christmas. So I suppose we last spoke just before Christmas. So let's start with the um, Boxing Day matches. Uh, There were three postponements, as we mentioned. Liverpool-Leeds was one of them. And uh, George really didn't want that to go ahead. What is the latest at uh, Ellen Road, George? If you had played on Boxing Day, how many would you have been able to field? I'm not sure. When they cancelled that game, though, and and referenced having enough eligible players. I do wonder what that number is, given that yeah. we had eight, eight for the Everton game. Uh, sorry, Arsenal game. So I assume it was less than eight. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was apparently, it was COVID more than injuries this time. Obviously, our, our Aston Villa game was postponed yesterday as well. So it looks like we will be playing Burnley on the second, with hopefully a few of the injuries back as well. Um, but obviously, you can't guarantee anything at the moment, so we'll, we'll wait and see. So, do we all think that what's happened here is now they're finally coming out with this consistent line that you need 13 players and a goalkeeper for a game to go ahead? Do we all think that in the few weeks before Christmas that uh, guidance just simply wasn't there and it was ignored for a couple of Leeds games, George? Potentially, or the club just weren't interested and wanted to plough on regardless, which would be foolish but I, I will not aware obviously I do wonder if this will be abused going forward even once COVID is hopefully quietened down now that ruling's much more public and out there you know yeah. it's going to be used they're going to have to need independent adjudicators for injuries and things from Monday well exactly um, like you see how many players pull out of international duties and I think it's a really interesting and dangerous precedent that they're now talking about injuries and COVID as the reason for, that's right, for yeah. the postponements whereas you know before it was extraordinary circumstances with COVID now it's injuries and you know you can go through an injury crisis and you just have to lump it in the past and you know United have played some pretty dreadful defences during the middle of injury <laughs> crises when uh, Louis van Gaal was in town oh, you I mean you fielded some dodgy yeah defenses. there was a there's been times where you know Rio Ferdinand was playing central midfield for Ferguson there was times where Tyler Blackett was playing central with defense against Arsenal like wow it sets a very dangerous precedent and it does question the point of the squad if I was a squad player at City I'd start wondering where my opportunity comes if they want to postpone the match every time they get six or seven injuries well it wouldn't be the same if you didn't have a dig at Man City's large squad and not not (laughs) using their their talents but Man City clearly had a great Christmas lunch didn't they because they came out on Boxing Day and went 4-0 up in 25 minutes Kevin De Bruyne Riyad Mahrez 
Gundogan and Sterling all on the score sheet. You worried how many it could become. When, uh, respectfully, George, when you lost seven there the other week, you said it could happen to anyone. Uh, Chelsea lost 6-0 there a couple of years ago. And you mentioned that it can happen to the best of them. And that came to mind here. But uh, Leicester mounted a bit of a fight back, didn't they? Yeah, and I actually the best player on the pitch was on the losing side. James Madison was absolutely outstanding. He, yeah. Everything went through him. He's coming to form just at the right time if he wants a big January move. I think it's just a classic Boxing Day game, wasn't it? Where um, the attention span kind of from the players maybe waned a bit yeah. towards the end and um, it was just a free-for-all. Thoroughly entertaining. That's exactly what you want. So they got it back to 4-3 and everybody took note and was it was a comeback on. And then in the 69th minute, Laporte made it 5-3 and that was pretty much it. Sterling added another to make it 6-3 in the end. I've actually looked at Madison's minutes this season because we've mentioned on the pod previously that it was nice to see him back and he's certainly back on top form in these last few weeks but actually he's appeared in every Premier League game pretty much this season which I didn't know Um, I thought he was absent with injury for a, a large part of it it felt like it anyway but he's actually played a part or come on and played the odd minute in every game so they've done quite well to get him back to fitness from whatever problem he had and uh, to get him back to this top form Arsenal continued their uh, great form against Minnows with a 5-0 win at Norwich. Does anyone want to comment on this? Only the fact that you're referring to Minnows, and I assume that counts as Leeds as well. Apologies. <laughs> a <little> dig there. <laughs> um, minnows or um, ravaged squads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think Nick talked last week about Manchester City pretty much tying up the league. I think Norwich's relegations almost yeah. confirmed they... They yeah. can't even score. Um, they said that on match of the day. And I think that's so interesting, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I think we all feel like that when we see them. And when we see these results, Norwich are down. But actually, they're only three points off safety because of the strange way that the league table is developing with all these cancellations. You think it's more that like it's, it's almost nailed on a defeat now every week. They might yeah. get a couple of wins here and there, but yeah. they just, just seem seem hopeless and the, the yo-yo continues, it seems. Can't see them getting far beyond 20 points, which is has never been and will never be enough. So then Tottenham, Crystal Palace, 3-0. So we've played twice in these couple of days. Two games, very different experiences because this Boxing Day match against Crystal Palace was really, really pleasant and relaxing uh, as a Spurs fan. And then yesterday against Southampton was quite the opposite. It was really frustrating. But the frustrations were all Crystal Palaces on Boxing Day and especially Wilf Zaha. Did you see the sending off? The incident between Zaha and Sanchez. Yeah, it reminded me of the reverse fixture at the start of the season. Exactly. Um, with Tanganga. Just yeah. Getting so irritated. And that was Zaha. He was, he, from the first minute, he was he seemed very cross about something. Yeah, it was inevitable. Um, it was always going to happen eventually. It happened in the first half as well, didn't it? It didn't even take that long to... That's right. So from our point of view, it was just the most wonderful what goes around comes around scenario because uh, as you said earlier in the season when we tanked at Sellers Park, I, I think we would have <laughs> lost anyway that game because everything went wrong that afternoon. But one of the things that went wrong certainly was um, Tanganga being wound up chiefly by Zaha he was at him all game, uh, got him booked for a sort of violent tussle earlier on. And then obviously the crowd close to the pitch there at Selos Park got Tanganga more and more wound up. He went in for another challenge, got sent off. They all sang cheerio and everything. Zaha scored the penalty, was king for the day and all that. And then here, Tanganga wasn't involved, but he was on the pitch. And he must have laughed to himself throughout these incidents because his big mate Davison Sanchez got Zaha wound up and sent off and it's just wonderful because 
The difference, of course, is that uh, Tanganga is, what, 21, 22, a young lad, and they were exploiting his naivety and youth in front of a hostile crowd at Sellers Park. The difference here is Zaha's 29, and he should know much better. He's their figurehead, but he just blew a gasket and uh, very much cheerio to him. I really like Will Zaha when he gets rival big sides in trouble and scores against them, most notably at Old Trafford Nick. <laughs> but when it's against your team, it's uh, brilliant to see that sort of thing happen to him. Apart from that, we won 3-0. Kane, Lucas and Son. Lucas has had uh, a couple of great performances either side of Christmas. And it's just great to see um, some good attacking play and Kane and Son linking up again. Kane scoring again, all these important things, essentially. We did have more possession than them as well. And uh, I don't think they had a shot on goal even. So it was a very relaxing affair. But we'll come to the uh, contrast with the Southampton game later. Southampton on Boxing Day won at West Ham, which was a big result. It seemed to sort of condemn West Ham's good run to be over. But uh, they came back yesterday with a big win. But Elianusi put Southampton ahead early on. Antonio equalised for West Ham. Ward-Prowse scored a penalty to put Southampton ahead again. Ben Rama found an equaliser three minutes later. But then Southampton went ahead for the third and final time through Bednarek. So a big win for them and a bad result for West Ham. And then in the late tea time kickoff on Boxing Day, it was uh, Gerrard at home to Chelsea at a bouncing Villa Park. But I think most of the uh, nationwide TV audience was full of mince pies by that time. Maybe Gerrard um, was because he wasn't there. Gerard wasn't there, that's true. Absent. Nice to see Gary McAllister again, for what it's worth. Uh, Reese James popped one in off his head, in the first half to put Villa ahead, but then uh, Jorginho, very predictably, two penalties. And I think what's notable about this game is that um, Chelsea just didn't find any attacking cohesion in the first half, but brought Lukaku on at halftime, who won man of the match. Uh, so he changed everything and was a much more physical presence up front. And uh, I think Chelsea could be could maybe get over their pre-Christmas wobble if he's back permanently, don't you think? Lukaku is an interesting one because he seems to be at his absolute best when he's trying to prove people wrong. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. like, he came back and started the season like a house on fire, proving everyone in England that he still had it and wasn't a Syria uh, flat trap bully. Yeah. But then went off the boil, picked up injuries, I believe, and has had like, a nasty bout of COVID. But everyone was saying that he's been a waste of money, back he comes and t- changes that game. Yeah, and a big result for them to stay in touch just about, having been a goal down at resurgent Aston Villa. Something I notice whenever I see their highlights, Gerard's Villa, is their um, fullbacks sort of playing kamikaze football, cash and target. Their starting position is the halfway line, and um, this is in a back four. So it, it leaves so much space in behind, and it's very, very entertaining, but um, not sure how sustainable it is. Um, They're both pretty bang average fullbacks in the championship it's interesting to see them start week in week out in the premier league and yeah perhaps that's the idea they can't really defend so may as no. well send them up yeah. yeah exactly okay so then the late game by which almost everybody was asleep was brighton to brentford nil so two, uh, two lovely goals though to be fair I, I yeah didn't watch this live watch the highlights uh trossard we've talked about him before i think on this pod yeah wouldn't surprise me at all if he got a January move. To Newcastle. Score. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, seems to score classy sort of finishes. And this one was a lovely lob from outside of the area. And it was first time it came over his shoulder and he hit it first time um, on the ball. It was lovely. 
lovely finish. Yeah, we've mentioned him a couple of times before on the show. Yeah, and Neil Mopé, who again he, he misses sitters but scores some lovely goals yeah. and some very important goals for Brighton. Who I think this this result was was much needed. They're on a bit of a bit of a bad run after scaling new heights at the early part of the season. Um, but he also a wonderful finish into the top corner and did that honourable thing and didn't celebrate against us former club which yeah. is bang off brand actually because Malpai is a bit of a wind-up yeah. <laughs> well put so that brings us to the only game on the Monday night the 27th and that was Newcastle Manchester United thankfully it still went ahead great for Sky as well who chose it as their only offering on that day but I can't say I was very hopeful for a close contest here because I know that Manchester United have been in disarray, but I thought under Rangnick they would be organised enough here and Newcastle just wouldn't have anything to offer. Well, how wrong I was. This was <laughs> this was an absolute Christmas cracker. I feel a bit sorry for Newcastle, although generally no sympathy at all for them since their takeover. But um, I feel a bit sorry for them that they couldn't hang on But uh, it was one of those games, as I commented to you during the match, Nick, where the big team came to town and were just so poor that it ended up as a leveller, basically. And uh, (laughs) the teams were of similar standard on the night and it made it really... Well, I don't think they were. I don't think they were of a similar standard. I think Newcastle were absolutely robbed. Sure, yeah. And United were very lucky to get a point in the end. And once again, it was the the saviour Cavani who uh, came on and made a difference, as so many times over the last, uh, what, 18 months or so. I don't know how long he's been there now. Not before doing that classic Sunday League thing where he kicked a shot against his other leg. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Out for a goal kick. I mean, so So... many moments like this, weren't there? So many air shots, little mistakes by Ronaldo that got huge cheers from the Gallagher end. And uh, Marcus Rashford even doing an air shot near the byline. Huge cheers. That really was dreadful. Just so many errors from United all night. They gave the ball away on average twice a minute. It was like 167 times, I think. So just under twice a minute. And... uh, yeah, I, I think it was as poor a performance as United have put in over the last five, six, seven years. I think they were worse than they were when they've been given some of the hidings they've had recently against Liverpool or, wow. or City. And I think what's most worrying is we're about four games in, I think, to the new manager. And yeah. the noises coming out of the ground, out of the training ground is already that the senior pros don't approve of his methods, don't buy into his approach. And I think what's really interesting is if you go back to one of Carrick's interim games, a guy who's been hanging around the club for a few years, he was the one who dropped Ronaldo and Bruno. And here we are trying to persevere with two people who Gary Neville called, I think, whinge bags. Um, Amazing professional players and also a lot that United owe them over the last 18 months. But I don't know if this system suits either of them particularly well. And then nor does it suit an a pacey attacking striker like Rashford looks off his game. We haven't got the technicians of a Manchester City or a Liverpool in midfield to find the pass. So playing on the counter-attack like we did under Ole when supposedly there was no tactics suited a pacey raft of attackers. And you can see why he bought Sancho, but we're now in a position where I think square pegs are going into circular holes. Mm-hmm. And it will be good enough, I think, for Europa League, but I don't think United would be bothering the top four. Um, when you look at what Conte's doing at Spurs, even Arteta at Arsenal look a better team. I think West Ham under Moyes look a better team than United at the moment. 
Well, there's still lots of time for Rangnick to impose his changes, but certainly the uh, body language and attitude was a huge worry here, wasn't it? And I think also what was very interesting was that both Carragher and Neville questioned this 4-2-2-2 system ahead of kickoff, saying they weren't sure it was quite right. So your theory that the players are reacting because they don't think it's right, they don't want to go along with this new system, is a compelling one. Well, um, the problem you've got is that you've got Fred and McTominay, who at best can be described as destroyers or disruptors, but they're playing further forward now, trying to thread passes and it's not in their game. And you've got Bruno out on the flank who who should be in the middle finding those passes. And I could see what he tried to do in the second half as he tried to put Bruno in the middle. But by then, I think the team's confidence was shot. They were fighting amongst themselves. And it will be very interesting to see because we've had the three worst teams in the league and we've made them look very good. Well, and, we, and we've got Burnley coming up. So that's got a Sean Dyche special written all over it, hasn't it? Burnley haven't played in donkey's years, so they'll be bang up for it, won't they? Yeah. So Burnley are the only team in the league who are four games behind on the schedule. And that's because they've, as well as three lost to COVID, they've lost one to uh, Snow, the fixture with Tottenham back in November. So Burnley will be hungry when they go to Old Trafford on Thursday evening, is it, this week? Yeah, that's right. Right. Newcastle managed to do the exact opposite that they did against Manchester City, their previous home game, which was that um, they kept the crowd going and they had that moment of idiocy with uh, Clark and Dubravka against City, which put City ahead and then City's possession style just sucked the life out of the place. This was completely different because Sam Maximan, a very entertaining Alan Sam Maximan, scored very early on for Newcastle and then the crowd was up. And they, they knew they could get something out of this against uh, a Man United side who were just uh, throwing their toys out of the pram on the pitch. Most notably, Ronaldo, every time the ball did or didn't come near him, he uh, had his arms up in exasperation and yeah. apparently ran off the ran off down the tunnel at the end of the game again, just as he did at the end of Solskjaer's tenure. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame him for that. It's cold in Newcastle at this time of year. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the quality of the ball to him, he was being supplied by two midfield destroyers and so yeah. no wonder what his amazing and intelligent runs weren't being found um he didn't have a great game but you find him a couple of times in a match and more often than not his scores yeah but yeah Newcastle were very good and um I have to say I don't want that to happen I want them to go down which is club in the second tier but uh and George I saw a tweet uh, this week saying any Leeds fans who wanted anything other than a resounding Man United win in that uh, in that fixture have lost their heads because uh, you're looking down and not up now. I'm not. I've not got that far yet. Although no, I thought a not. little one 0 winning at Burnley wouldn't go amiss. To be fair, since we've got three <laughs> games in hand on us. No, I, have, I, no, I certainly haven't pumped those depths just yet. But um, you might get your wish, Nick, because I was reading how Callum Wilson and Sam Maximan got injured in that game, which yeah. is such rotten luck for them. Yeah. I know. Yeah. You know, take over a side that is terribly bad luck. I've put in their performance this season. I think Sam Maximan just ran himself into the ground. He was yeah. everywhere <laughs> that night, and he just couldn't anymore after 80 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Another one who you know. Welcome January. I know they don't need the money, but if some Champions League clubs comes in for him and he submits a request or something like that, you could see him going much higher than well. That's not hard, but I thought he felt like a Liverpool player actually because he explosive work, work rate, mm. but also the quality to be an able deputy for someone like Salah, who's obviously mm. in phenomenal form at the moment. But of course, he repeatedly professes his love for the tune on social media, so which also I love about him. Like, yeah. he, knows, he knows how to use that, and it feels like it's from him, not his team. Interesting post match. I don't know if you saw it. That the uh, reporter, I don't know what broadcaster, said to Joe Linton, "I didn't think you were very good today." <laughs> 
yeah. and um, Sean Longstaff jumped to his defence to say how good how good he is, but I'm pretty sure he's. It must be the best part of three years. He's been a complete figure of fun at that club. So I'm not. I'm not sure he meant it, but um, I did feel a bit for him because he does seem like he's turned a bit of a corner. He, yeah, Joe Linton is an absolute revelation in midfield. I think Absolutely. this is uh, one of the stories of the season. He was so derided for not being able to put the ball into the net, except one famous time at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, obviously. But uh, he basically was absolutely useless up there as a num- number nine. He's moved, been moved back into midfield and he's um, putting in absolutely monstrous performances, all in a relative sense, obviously, of 19th place and Newcastle never winning a game. But, you know, he's doing more than many of them in their cause and it's an amazing transformation I think this is what Harry Kane wants isn't it he wants to go back there and be a midfield yeah, general but uh, he's too good he should not waste his talents on which note Harry is back because he kept putting the ball in the net yesterday at uh, Southampton not many of them stood but uh, <laughs> he's definitely back and he's sharp and he's combining with Son James Ward-Prowse, who is just brilliant. And last episode, we didn't quite get to mention his, I think it is his 11th direct free kick goal at Sellers Park. He scored from a moving ball this time. I think Conte is doing a great job, as Nick has already said, at Spurs. He's been very transformative in this time of few games and many cancellations but he's been there a couple of months and he's made big changes and he's certainly made us watchable again which is the bare minimum that we want but I don't think that when Antonio Conte came into Spurs he would have prioritized telling the defenders that they need to not let a long throw bounce in the box I think that could be filed under things that he thought they knew already. But this chap, uh, Salisu from Southampton, who eventually got himself sent off with the silly challenge. Um, If you want to see a nailed on penalty, by the way, that is a penalty all day long after all those questionable ones we had just before Christmas, then look at the one Southampton gave away against us. That was definite penalty. Didn't even need to check with VAR, really. But uh, this chap was also supplying some long throws into the box which Hasenhüttl said were um, they'd adopted that tactic because it gave them a bit of time. Don't quite know what he meant by that. But anyway, it did have the likes of Sanchez and Dyer and whatnot um, all at sea. And for the goal, I think Deli Ali does get his head on the, the, the long throw, but he sort of doesn't manage to clear it. He just heads it down and it goes into the danger area. It bounces and then off that bounce, uh, James Ward-Prowse just sort of cuts across it. A fantastic finish. And it sort of swerves outwardly past um, Larice into the side netting. And then uh, we responded. And like I said, we had a couple of disallowed goals. One of them um, offside for Harry Kane by a centimetre. It reminded us of last season more with all those lines being drawn over all over the shop, which we haven't seen so much this season, thankfully. But then also this, uh, did you see the uh, disallowed goal when Fraser Forster, who I've long thought is an abysmal goalkeeper, well, um, <laughs> came out and just dropped it? And then I think sort of it came off his back heel and and rolled into the net. And I think um, Anthony Taylor, who was annoying me all afternoon anyway, gave that as a foul for a supposed challenge by Doherty. I think more because he just couldn't believe how poor it was by the keeper. He couldn't believe that somebody would make a mistake like that without undue pressure, I think. Yeah, there's two things. One, like how old is Fraser Foster now? I I couldn't believe it when I saw the replay and it was him. I didn't realise he was in goal. Also, Southampton seemed to have a different keeper every week. Yeah, on that note, I saw Jack Butland turn out for Crystal Palace the other day as yeah. well, which really shocked me. I didn't yeah. even know he played there. Same. Yeah, but I thought we'd I thought we'd move past all this. Any challenge on the goalkeeper, it's a foul. I, yes, I just, exactly. Yeah. He he didn't have it cleanly. 
he landed on Doherty's back and it dropped out of his hands. Like there's no foul whatsoever. It was um like I said, I think he just it was so bad, he just guessed there must have been a foul, which with VAR, maybe he should have just left it if he wasn't sure. And then he'd have seen there wasn't. But yeah, abysmal. And yeah, I, I just expect Fraser Force to be warming the bench at Celtic. I don't know. I don't <laughs> don't know where, where he's just come back from. Been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, very silly decision. And the, yeah, the offside was like going back in time. Again, I thought we'd move past this toenail being offside. Not yeah. even a single Southampton player appealed that from what I saw. Um, no, it was uh, it was the, sort of the thickness of his shirt on his Terrible. on his shoulder sleeve. That was that was the difference. So I think annoying, frustrating afternoon for Conte, who's still unbeaten after seven games. But that would definitely two points dropped since we were up against ten men for a long time in this game. It's obvious from your results and your momentum the change he's made. But I was reading that in the av- the average distance covered in games under yeah. Spirit Santa was the worst in the league and now it's the best under Conte which is just remarkable What? Yeah I didn't understand it is... at the time and I still don't understand it but Nuno's tactics seem to be just to conserve energy just to sit back and do yeah, nothing yeah, or yeah. everybody into submission and then try and get a goal and I think it worked in the first day of the first game of the season against Man City when we didn't yeah, work like for Wolves, didn't it? Uh, yeah, to an they, extent, they, I suppose. Yeah, they tied yeah. it, didn't they? The, 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 the uh, supporters, and and also good just to see Dele Alli back and playing and being involved. It's um, yeah. a waste of talent that we haven't seen for so long. To be good to see him back, and maybe even an England squad. Who knows? Yeah, he wasn't as convincing on this occasion, but yeah, he has put in a couple of good performances recently. Perhaps the person who, who puts it best is um, Conte himself. So uh, let's hear this. Why we have to take uh, a slap before to, to have a reaction? Why do we have to take a slap before we have a reaction? So <laughs> I like that very much. We've got a new song at Spurs, which uh, is to the tune of Liverpool's Ali Ali Ali. And it goes, uh, first he banned the ketchup, then he banned the mayonnaise. And I don't think these things are too scientific as to what catches on and what doesn't. But something tells me that Spurs fans love this song and are getting behind it because they're a bit fed up of players that they know played really, really well under Pochettino, just underperforming for ages under Mourinho and Nuno. And somebody, the the ketchup and the mayonnaise is like emblematic of discipline, basically. And uh, I think Spurs fans are right behind it because they're seeing the same players uh, raising their levels again, which is good. So quickly go through the other results from yesterday. West Ham went behind at Watford and I texted our friend Will, the West Ham fan, that the wheels were coming off because they lost uh, to Southampton on Boxing Day as well. But they came back uh, and won 4-1. Magnificent away win, which um, reinvigorates them somewhat. They go to Palace on New Year's Day, which will be a very interesting fixture. I think that's on TV, the late afternoon offering on New Year's Day when we're all bleary-eyed. But Mark Noble's farewell tour continued. This time he tucked the penalty away. So I know that all West Ham fans uh, are looking forward to seeing his rare outings in his final season. Suchek, Benrama and Vlasic with the other goals. Bowen with three assists. We'll talk about uh, Jared Bowen shortly in the context of team of the year um, or team of the half season, I'm sure. So great result for them. And then also yesterday afternoon, Crystal Palace beat Norwich 3-0. We've already discussed how we think Norwich, um, although not numerically cut adrift, are basically down. And it's games like this that give us that impression, isn't it? Another good performance for Crystal Palace in Vieira's absence as he has COVID. And then the evening game, uh, another Christmas cracker was Leicester against Liverpool. 
who wants to talk about this one? I only saw the very end, but I have to say I was surprised. I think this Leicester team were patched up. I think they made a, a mockery of Jürgen Klopp's bleating about uh, Yes, rest. thank you. I, I, I knew we would get to talk about this, and uh, we've <laughs> sooner than I expected, you're straight in there on uh, Klopp's throat, and you're quite right, because Leicester played on Boxing Day a game that will have taken everything out of them, that 6-3 at City, and then played two days later against Liverpool. When Liverpool had the Boxing Day fixture against Leeds, obviously cancelled or postponed. So no excuses. And Leicester also have many injuries and play in Europe Thursday nights, all those games. So they showed how it can be done. And they showed up Messrs uh, Tuchel and Klopp, etc., who have been whinging. Yeah, and, and six of Liverpool's nine substitutes were first-team players. It's not like they were calling up kids like everyone, every other team seems to be in the league. They were more or less full strength and mm-hmm. um, they were blunt. They were so, so blunt. I guess with the penalty miss from Salah and the follow up, two follow up misses, <laughs> I think it was the writing was on the wall, it seemed, from that. They created very little. Saying that, the times they did create things, Casper Schmeichel was in absolutely imperious form. When he's yeah. like that, he's one of the best, I think. One particular save from Salah, which yeah, you don't see very often. Um, it's a rasping drive and he just tipped it over the bar. But yeah, very impressive from Leicester, like you say, the, the turnaround they've had. And, and well, we, like we say, keep saying we don't know which Leicester will turn up, but this was the Leicester mm-hmm. we all want to see, wasn't it? Absolutely. I, I was really annoyed we, as a club, didn't look at Luckman because he's yeah. such a clear talent. And I know he was at Fulham, who went down last year, but you know, similar to Gallagher at Palace um, at West Brom last season. You know, these are good players that were available for yeah. on loan or for free and he looked brilliant for them when well, he is on loan they haven't got him permanently but um yeah chalk and cheese from from leicester uh, it would seem and a big dent in liverpool's title challenge has to be said mm. so it seems like a very long time ago now because of christmas and all that but uh, last week after we spoke we also had the league cup quarterfinals and another liverpool leicester match where leicester went ahead three times i think at anfield but uh, a very late Minamino equaliser made it 3-3 at the end and it went directly to penalties, no messing about. And then um, we talked about Liverpool's lack of uh, backup keepers to Alisson, who's been making these high-profile errors. So uh, where did this guy come from, George? Don't ask me. I'll tell sure. anywhere. Cork. <laughs> <laughs> you can try and pronounce his surname for us if you want. Well, I thought it was a Germanic surname, in which case it would be Kelleher. But uh, obviously, when I saw that he was from Cork, I had second thoughts. Could be anything. Probably just Keller. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to have a go at his first name, certainly. No, but I suppose, yeah, anyone's better than Carius, and this guy clearly is. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. I think he did play a couple of Premier League games last season, actually, if I remember rightly. Uh, you, I guess you don't, you don't score a 95th minute equaliser and then lose a penalty shootout, do you? So it was pretty obvious that was going to that was going to happen. And I think that's, that's quite right. And so glad for Leicester to get their own back, uh, Last yeah, night, just a week later, yeah. uh, even yeah. though it doesn't feel like a week, it was. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Arsenal thrashed Sunderland 5-1, as we thought they would. Chelsea won at Brentford 2-0. Two late goals, Pontus Janssen own goal and yet another Jorginho penalty, of course. And uh, and we beat West Ham, which was very cheering. Stephen Bergwine had a great game. And Lucas, like I said, either side of Christmas had uh, great games. So that leaves the semi-finals: Tottenham against Chelsea and Arsenal against Liverpool. The EFL Cup is almost becoming the London Cup with City out early this year for once. Uh, but Liverpool are still in there with a say, I think, uh, 
depending on the team that Klopp fields in those what are still two-legged semi-finals scheduled, even though uh, that's another thing that the so-called specky Germans are whinging about. But uh, <laughs> Except one um, of them's had his eyes done and isn't wearing specs <laughs> The curse of the Scousers. Going maybe, to, maybe because of this. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say it is interesting to see Klopp's Liverpool bothering the latter stages of an English Cup tournament because he has yeah, in, in previous years just <laughs> got themselves out of that as quickly as possible, really. Yeah. Did his best to lose the other night. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't well, it doesn't, doesn't even turn up to them. It's not a guarantee he'll turn up to the games. <laughs> okay, so those interesting-looking uh, League Cup semi-finals, certainly from my perspective, League Cup semi-finals, first leg and second leg, all happen in the first couple of weeks of January. So, and it's shaping up to be a very interesting January for um, for Tottenham Hotspur, certainly because we've got Chelsea in the League Cup either side of Morecambe in the FA Cup and then Arsenal and Chelsea in the league. So it's some huge games coming up next month. So that just leaves tonight's games, Chelsea and Man City in action. Looking at the league table now, they did mention on uh, the Amazon Prime coverage yesterday that Man City will play twice more before Liverpool play again. And the, the gap is already six points. So before Christmas, we called it. We said that was the week that the league was won, Nick. Looks like your prediction is borne out already, doesn't it? I think they're just the best equipped squad for rotation, African Cup of Nations. They seem to get better as the season goes on every year under Pep. And I don't see anyone catching them now. I think it could be it could be 10 points, 12 points by the springtime. So that's a nice segue to our... Um, sorry, George, go on. I was just saying, and yet, Today they sold who we thought would be their most important attacker yeah. in Ferran Torres to Ferran Barcelona. Torres to Barcelona. I, thought, yeah. I thought was skint. How on earth have they managed? Well, to... also hasn't he got a broken foot? I mean, honestly, <laughs> who is running Barcelona? <laughs> they also announced him as part of the teen team or the dream teens, and he's twenty-one. So uh, again, <laughs> yeah, shambles of a club. Yeah, that's right. Thursday night await Barcelona. Do we he think City be... City are going to go in for a striker though? Aren't they? Is, is, they must do, is that yeah. going to be why Kane's form was picked up? He's uh... <laughs> all right. Lay off with the conspiracy theories for just a minute, please. So that takes us nicely to the discussion of the half season awards, as they did on Monday Night Football after the. Manchester United Newcastle game this week. Would any of you be bold enough to suggest that Man City, Liverpool, and Chelsea will not be the top three at the end of the season? I assume not. No, I I just think from March onwards it'll just be all about the fourth place cup, won't it? It'll be exactly straight, so, straight fight between four teams, probably. So obviously it's difficult to look at the league table now with everybody on different numbers of games. But uh, I would say that Arsenal, West Ham, Spurs and United, although um, Nick is trying to be as negative as possible about his team, uh, I think those four will compete for fourth place at the end of the season. I know that Wolves and Leicester are also sniffing around, but I just don't think that they will be consistent enough in the coming months so who do you think well one thing just before we do I just I've just got a feeling that Chelsea are going to get dragged into it I don't think they'll miss out on the top four but I've just Mm. got a feeling their form is pretty horrible maybe Leicester will do the opposite of what they've done in previous years they'll come in at the last seconds (laughs) of the season snatch forth who knows but yeah Chelsea I don't mean is their wobble over after another penalty win that they keep picking up Um, so I'm going to stick my neck out and say that I think Tottenham can do it uh, and finish fourth the other thing that I would say then is that I think that uh, unlike what Nick's just said I think Man United will get better and better I think Rangnick will sort out some of the discipline there and I think they'll grow and grow 
this is slightly hard overhead, but I would much rather be in a fight for it with United than with Arsenal and West Ham. So that's my prediction. Who do you think will finish fourth? I've gone, I have gone Spurs. I think you've got the best manager, most proven. Well, thank you very much. I think he also has a squad that's basically had a rest for 18 months. <laughs> if he can get them playing, I don't even know if it'll be close, if I'm honest. Every time Arsenal play a proper team, they have their pants pulled down and United are inconsistent and infighting. I think West Ham will will fade and be one of the best of the rest. Fade and die. You missed the opportunity to quote the song. I think West Ham's weakness will be their success in the Europa League that they continue to have. I think that might hamper them um, yes, as the season wears on. And we all know we all know we're out of that. So. Well, yeah, you haven't got that a noose around your neck, have you? I, I actually think Man United will. They'll they'll get better, as you said. Right. Um, they have those two games in hand as well. And I, I George, still you think and I have just been on the wrong end of them too many times, right? Oh, just don't. sit the old cynics. <laughs> I hope they, you're both they, right. <laughs> they've only just started this very easy-looking run as well yeah. of, of bang average or lower teams, most of them at home as well. So yeah. I think, yeah, come February, I think they might be in fourth and quite comfortable. I'm hoping this Arsenal resurgence can't last forever, surely. They'll, they'll drop away. Well, they've got City on New Year's Day, so it's over, isn't it? It's a good start. Good so start. on Monday Night Football, they didn't want to discuss who will go down. No such compunctions here. We will go straight for it. And I will say uh, Norwich and Watford will go down. And that leaves one space. We haven't talked about Watford. Like They're going to chop Ranieri, aren't they? I mean, we joked yeah. about it. About I mean, what, we, we said it might be by ago. Christmas. So <laughs> here we are. I think they've lost five on the bounce now, haven't they? So, yeah, in free fall, got hammered, quite literally, (laughs) 4-1 yesterday. But yeah, I think Norwich and Watford will go down. And then um, on Monday Night Football, George, they discussed it just as four go into three. They didn't even mention Leeds in this discussion. Um, I know that you will want to because you think that somehow this sort of doom and gloom negativity helps you. (laughs) It's it's all I know, sorry. Yeah, I actually think we'll we'll be okay just. But I think we talked about before Burnley. I just wonder, they can't keep just surviving every year eventually. It has to toll a bit like it did for Bournemouth. Yeah, Burnley, I think, might have just about stayed their welcome and and finally go down. I thought Brentford might get dragged into it, but they just seem to keep pulling out, you know, a decent result here and there, which will probably be enough. Yeah. Newcastle, is it too late? Will January be too late by the time they get deals done? I don't know. We, you know we're, we're over halfway already. Yeah. Um, I mean, so they're, they're on 11 completely. points with Burnley, but Burnley have four more games exactly. to play. It's amazing. Exactly. Yeah, they've not. They've played the most games and, and got you know, the second worst points tally. So, yeah, yeah I, I would say, I agree. It's those four. It's three out of those four. If Watford change manager again, could they have another new manager bounce? They'll just claw themselves away. I don't, I don't know. But And Leeds will yeah. get healthy and soar clear of it all, won't they? I won't say soar. I think all those teams around us, we still have to play at home, which is in our favour. We have played the better teams in the league away from home already. So I, I just hope we've got enough good results on our side and enough good players. I know we've talked at the very start of the season, our squad's probably too good to go down. But when none of them are available, it isn't. And that's why we are where we are. If we can get Bamford back, Calvin Phillips back, hopefully in late January, then yeah, I think I think we will be okay. Not about being too good to go down. I just hope there's three worse teams than us. Okay, and signing of the summer. They went for Ramsdale on Monday Night Football, which I don't have time for. But <laughs> I'm going to go for Emmanuel Dennis, Watford. I was going to go for Dennis, and that was partly why I don't think Watford will go down, because they've got a striker scoring goals. And to be honest, that's all you need, really, to stay in the league. And I think that will be the difference between them going down and staying up. I Yeah, it's such a weak summer, wasn't it, in terms of successful signings? Literally yeah. nobody has come to the fore. I, I went for Conor Gallagher. I know I talked about him before, and I've mentioned him a few times on here, but someone who 
was in one of the worst teams of last season's Premier League. Looks absolutely brilliant at Palace and definitely yeah. uh, up there. Uh, and then the half season team. So Carragher and Neville couldn't agree on a system, but they did agree on. Uh, many of the players, the two of them together only chose one player from outside the top three teams, which I thought was a bit sad and unimaginative. So I will present to you my half season 11 from outside those top three shortly. But the t- the players that they agreed on were Cancelo and Alexander Arnold as either fullbacks or wingbacks, Van Dijk and Rudiger at the back, Rice in the middle or holding role, Salah, Jota and Foden up front. Now, I'm going to tell you what I don't agree with here, and then maybe the three of us can come up with our own, if we don't do it, Sky will, half-season team. Firstly, Neville went for Allison and goal, which is ludicrous, given what we've discussed with his uh, high-profile errors. I personally wouldn't put Jota in the middle of the front three. I know he scored a lot, but he gets a lot of tap-ins and it's harder to score those goals in a different team. Uh, See also Emmanuel Dennis. And Foden, I could understand Gary Neville's argument for having him in there because he played, he had excellent games in their biggest games, for example, at Anfield and against uh, United in the derby. But he hasn't quite played enough minutes, I think, to make it in there for me personally. So I'm going to start by putting David De Gea in goal. Yeah, that's who I went with. Uh, The reason being just how many big games he either got Man United over the line this season or just saved them from an even greater humiliation. (laughs) Yeah, I think as well, uh, he's just the mistakes have stopped. And as soon as he stops making mistakes, he's the best goalkeeper in the league. He may not be the best footballer, but I don't need my goalkeeper to play football. I want my goalkeeper to stop shots and, uh, and he's the best in the world. And George, going on what you said earlier, I, I fancy that you'd want Schmeichel in there. Would I, I'm a bit old-fashioned, a bit like Nick, I suppose. I just love a good shot stopper. And I think Casper's yeah. one of the best at the moment. He's getting better and better the older he gets. I think he's 34 or 35 now. And he's, yeah, when Leicester are good, he's a very important part of it. And I would I'd go for him. And then maybe another honourable mention for Jose Sarr at Wolves, just because of how many mm-hmm. clean sheets he's kept. And, and he's and also Sanchez, a new signing. Sanchez at Brighton as well. I think he's quite yeah. unheralded, but a very, very solid, good goalkeeper that probably destined for bigger things. Okay, so then uh, the back four for the team of the season. This is not where I would bring in players from outside the top three because I think the defenders are simply too good. So I think you can't ignore, even, the, even though with everything we've said about Rhys James this first half of the season, you just can't ignore Trent's production and his stats. I went uh, with James. I went with Rhys James. I think he's... I did too. Yeah, I think yeah. they're both great, but... Yeah. Um, I would just say Trent probably gets the nudge. This is a big there. problem for Southgate. <laughs> yeah. That's why he has a team full of right backs, isn't it? Because there and are I also people. included Trent because on the other side, I think Cancelo is better than Robertson. So I wanted one of the uh, Liverpool fullbacks in there. And then at centre back, I've put Diaz and Van Dyke. I've gone Diaz and Rudiger. I think Rudiger, Rudiger. has been a okay. mountain over the last and and Chelsea have the best defensive record up until the last fortnight I think that's a fair toss up George yeah me and Nick are agreeing on every player at the moment yeah I went for (laughs) for Rudiger he's absolutely imperious and going going forward he seems pretty strong at the moment and a free transfer beckons to a lucky team somewhere okay and I've gone with I've gone with Carragher in terms of having a 4-3-3 just because I think three centre-backs for a sort of ideal 11 is a bit of a waste Uh, you want more players to choose from higher up the park so I've put as the midfield three Conor Gallagher is my first player from outside the top three who was also chosen by Carragher but not by Neville Uh, Rodri as the holder and Bernardo Silva 
as well because he's just he almost left the club and has just had an absolute storming six months or five months. Well, I went. Um, did anyone hold- want to go with uh, the other system? I had two holding midfielders in mind. Yeah. I had Declan Rice. I think he's been brilliant. And you know, I'm no fan of him, but I have actually gone through Jorginho in the other role in the holding. Okay. Role, mainly because of the amount of points he saved for Chelsea through his, his penalties, penalties, mainly. <laughs> but he is the player who's getting picked every week by Chelsea. And I don't think he's a Ballon d'Or winner. But I do think that he makes that very effective European champions team tick. But if I played two there, I would probably have Declan Rice and Rodri. Yeah, Rodri's a great shout as well. He's mm. really grown into that role with Fernandinho playing less of a role this year. George? Yeah, I I really wanted to get Saka into my team. So I went for four in the field. I think given the summer he's ha- he had and how young he is and how every time I've seen him play this season, he's been so, so dangerous. So I put him on the right but I had I had Rodri and Jorginho in the middle. Okay, fair um, enough. And so Bernard, Bernardo Silva on the left, because again, yeah. Maybe we can all compromise on Rodri, Bernardo Silva and Jorginho as a three. Fair Sounds enough. good. Sounds good. And Bad Connor luck for Gall- Declan Rice. Conor Gallagher will still be in the, uh, on the, bench. In the other team outside the big three. <laughs> on the bench, as it were. And then up front in a three, Salah obviously wide right. And then where they've put Jota, I've put Emmanuel Dennis, because like I said, the goals must be harder to get in a team like Watford. And uh, on the left of the three, I've put Jared Bowen, just because he's impressed me every time I've watched him. And um, maybe his three assists yesterday also have nudged him over the line in that. Because, like I've mentioned, Foden doesn't play enough. And if it was on entertainment value alone, Sam Maximan would play in that position for me. But he <laughs> hasn't yeah. produced quite <laughs> as much because of the team he's in. Alongside Salah, I went for Antonio. I mean, last couple of weeks aside... He's had a ridiculously good yeah, season. Yeah, I just looked at the stats from Antonio and after mm. a good few goals in the first few weeks, they've they've sort of dried out a bit. I, so. I just can't shake the thought of him playing fullback for Colchester. Yeah. To yeah. see him <laughs> playing so well up front uh, in the Premier League is, is great to see. So, But yeah, he can't look past Salah. He's unbelievable at the moment. Okay. Uh, same and then... as George. In the, well, I played three behind a striker. That striker was Antonio. Bernardo, Bernardo Silva made it into my three behind him with Salah and Jared Bowen as well. So I think we're quite aligned. Okay, great. So then uh, I will just outline to you who I've got in my half-season 11 outside the top three clubs. So that would be De Gea again in goal. A back four of Livramento of Southampton and Cucurella of Brighton as fullbacks. Gehi of Crystal Palace and Roman Seiss of Wolves as centre-backs. Declan Rice as a holder. Connor Gallagher and James Ward-Prowse with him in a midfield three. And then up front, as I've said already, Emmanuel Dennis, Jared Bowen, and in Salah's position, George Rafinha. Be kind. <laughs> if it wasn't for his goals, we'd be bottom. So that's exactly. probably fair. He'd just never get into the official team because Salah is there, but he deserves a mention, doesn't he? Okay, so looking ahead to the new year round of games, we've got Arsenal Man City lunchtime, which is always an interesting one, isn't it? 12.30 on New Year's Day. Barely anyone's ready for that. And uh, you wonder whether the Arsenal defence will be ready for City. Leicester at home to Norwich. Uh, will Leicester capitalise on last night? Let's see. Spurs go to Watford. Well, we need to keep Emmanuel Dennis quiet, as we've just been talking about. But uh, I back us to get three points there. Um, hopefully without the slap that first that Conte mentioned. Then Crystal Palace West Ham on Sky at 5.30pm. That could be quite competitive, I feel. And on Sunday, plenty of games at two o'clock, including Leeds at home to Burnley. George? Yeah, first of three Sunday two o'clock for us, which is obviously mm-hmm. the, new, the new Saturday three o'clock. Well, we'll see what they do at Old Trafford, shall we, in a couple of days. 
it's obviously I think it's must win. I think it's a yeah a stereotypical six pointer that we just if we have we're going to stay up we have to beat Burnley at home which um, yeah is, can't is disagree given. with that and we'll just see what what team we have available on TV are uh, Brentford at home to Villa. Brentford have got a couple of home games. They've got uh, City tonight. We're recording on the Wednesday and then they've got um, Aston Villa coming on Sunday lunchtime and then the prime time game four thirty on Sunday on Sky is Chelsea Liverpool. So that is fascinating Chelsea do play tonight uh, against Brighton is it so they might be three points ahead of Liverpool by the time this kicks off I think that's uh, going to be a draw that helps neither of them yeah exactly all sorts of permutations there and then on the not Monday night football but Monday afternoon football on bank holiday 3rd of January is uh, Manchester United Wolves so probably Great. At 5.30, yeah. So probably a little bit less confident about that one than uh, Burnley, right, Nick? I can't say I'm confident about anything at the moment, to be honest. I don't know what team's going to turn up. I would say that you've got to be beating Wolves. I think they'll do us less harm than Newcastle did. The same as Burnley, to be honest. I think they're less good going forward. Yeah, they're involved in a lot of (laughs) nil-nils. Yeah, I think um, it'll be whether or not United can find the quality to, to break them down. Um, or if they shoot themselves in the foot of the back, which United have also made a habit of recently. Okay, so we'll speak shortly after that, I would uh, assume, next time. So we can wrap it up there. Wish each other a happy new year, footballing and otherwise. And we shall reconvene after the next round of matches to pick through the bones again. Thank you, George. Happy new year. Thank you, Nick. Happy new year. And see you all soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.